Welcome to Story Comic Presents, where we interview amazing storytellers and artists. This is episode 230. I'm your host, Barney Smith of StoryComic.com, and we're excited to have with us the internationally acclaimed fantasy and historical fiction author, Willow Woods. Hi. Willow, how are you doing? I'm good. Is you? Good, good. But I really want to talk to you about these worlds you created. So... Talk to us a bit about that. If you want to kind of first, for, for those that might not be familiar with, with, with Willow Woods, do you want to give people a little bit of background on how you've got into writing fantasy and historical fiction? Yeah. Um, so I've always, I've always been a, a huge reader, I think, ever since I learned how to read. Um, so I've got books everywhere. Um, and when I was in secondary school, um, I discovered a fantasy writer called Tamara Pierce. Um, and just to this day, many, many years later, um, she's, she's still my favorite author. Um, and I'm constantly rereading her books and it just made me kind of want to be, it, it made me want to get into, into writing. So I started taking creative writing more seriously um, I started both of these books while I was doing my GCSEs a long time ago. Um, so they've they've gone through heavy rewrites and, and redrafts. They've, they've changed drastically over the years. So um, mm. where I belong, the first draft was literally, it was just like set in the palace. It didn't even go out into the world. It was the couple of years ago where I started really kind of uh creating the worlds and learning more about world building where i belong is set in in the worlds which with a stutter i can't even pronounce half of my stuff half the time um <laughs> so like the two kingdoms it's set in for where i belong is carstairs and sapphire um and then the world itself is um in my head i say jadis but i don't think that's how i meant to, i don't think that's how i'm meant to be pronouncing my own world um <laughs> But I stutter if I try and say it how I want to say it. Um, but I'm starting like an actual bigger world map for that. And I'm hopefully starting on my first trilogy, which will be set before where I belong, completely unrelated to it, just set in the same world in a in a brand new kingdom. The Shadow Called San is set in, in our world, but it's in like a hidden mm. location called Tenebrae, um, which... I love Final Fantasy, but when 15 came out, I was devastated that was the name because I was like, I did mine first. Oh, no. Um, but I was like, because Tenebrae Latin for darkness. So okay, made, made sense for it to be called that. But yeah, I kind of love world building. I love how it's limitless with fantasy. Mm. Um, you know, I can go back and revisit and I can I can add things in. What did you start with when you went when your world building? Did you just kind of start off with a map? Did you start off with like races, religions, languages? How did you? What was the foundational to when you when you started building out Jadis? I think for me, it was the the characters and the plot line, and okay. as they evolved, the the world evolved. So Sapphire became more than just a, a palace; it became like a whole kingdom. Mm. Um, I explored the the capital city a, a lot more. Yeah, the more I kind of explored it in my head, the more I tried to to go into it into a map. And then I started designing like the little um, house emblems and banners, um, which I described on paper first. So I like wrote down the descriptions. And then when I went to actually design them on the computer, I was like, 
yeah, next time I'm designing first, then describing, because I sort of realized <laughs> taking it from what I'd written to putting it on paper was a lot harder to like actually make it work. Did you, so as you talked to me, you kind of had these characters in, in mind and now did you, when you wrote down where I belong, uh, how much did the characters kind of help evolve the world or how much did you actually create the world in advance of having your characters explore? I think the world for where I belong, the world definitely came second. Um, okay. It was more, it was more a plot driven story. Um, and it's now that I'm kind of, it was cause I started it when I was doing my GCSEs. It's kind of, as I developed in writing that I kind of mm. went in with the world building. Um, so it was probably the last couple of years that the world really sort of came, came to life for me. Um, but I've got zero art skills. So for me, it was all just, it was all images in my head that just came out as words. It's only with lockdown that I really started experimenting with like doing maps designs and trying to get things out of my head and visually onto paper. But my art skills do not go that far. <laughs> so, Give us a synopsis of where I belong. What can people expect from the book? It feels really weird talking about this stuff, sorry. Um, it's, <laughs> it's kind of like a, a contemporary fantasy. So it, it's a standalone. Um, mm -hmm. That's one thing. I, I've not done a series yet or a trilogy. Both books are standalones. I think it's um, one of the reasons why I belong was a standalone is because as much as I love fantasy, I kind of realized it's always, it's not just a standalone book. You can't just read one. There's, there's more in the series obviously because it's a series um mm. whereas there's sometimes where i just i just want to read one book i don't want to have to get invested into a, like a whole 15 part series and, and waiting for like the next one to come out and then it never coming out um so i just yeah just wanted standalone ones so this one's a contemporary fantasy and they're aimed at like the new adult market so like in both books the uh protagonists are kind of uh well, I think that yeah, nothing. They're they're sort of both around their early twenties, so they're kind of past the young adult stage, but not quite in the adulting phase yet. I definitely wasn't in the adulting phase when I was in my early twenties. Um, it starts off set in in our world in uh, Bournemouth. When I first wrote it, it was set in in a town that was kind of similar to my hometown. Then it got set in Portsmouth, and then it finally moved to Bournemouth. And then it kind of moves on to the the fictional realm. Most of it's then set in uh, the Kingdom of Sapphire, uh, in in Evany, which is the capital city. And then I've done the world the world map, the Kingdom map. But again, it's in where I belong. It's just focused in in Evany. I don't really explore much of the other the other areas. But I'm sort of thinking about doing little novellas, little side stories, which I'll probably hopefully post on the the website if I ever get round to them. Um, really good at procrastinating um, <laughs> so it's kind of it's um it's all about uh sorcery and uh royalty so alexandra the the main protagonist uh has amnesia because she fled from her her own wedding when a spell kind of went a bit awry so she ends up in our world through hypnosis she kind of remembers who she is but obviously no one's going to remember your no one's going to believe you when you say you're a princess from another world. So she's kind of a little bit stuck, <laughs> kind of unsure of what to do. Um, and then ends up back in, in her home world, um, 
tricked into not realizing that she's actually quite a powerful sorceress. Her husband doesn't want her knowing that. Um, he's quite a powerful sorcerer, but he's also a bit of, well, he's an evil tyrant. Um, so it's kind of her um, working with a rebellion, but also kind of torn on on who is actually the rightful king. Like, is is the person who's leading the rebellion going to be any better than the current person? Mm. Um, a lot of a lot of conflicts. Um, I think it it does get quite dark. There's a lot of strong themes in there. Um, it, it's got things. It it's got abuse. It, it's got um, it's kind of drawn from history on how men treated women, how they saw wives, like especially in medieval times, wives were property. Mm. Um, it's got quite dark themes. Um, my headspace when I was writing the final draft was not in the best of places. Like a lot of, there are a lot of changes that I didn't actually see happening uh, when I originally did it. Cause uh, the first, the first, the final draft got, um, finished just after my nan died um so i wasn't in the best of places but i think it's made the story a lot more powerful and then it's kind of got the historical links that i kind of didn't want to shy away from because it's how history was perceived like it's not how history was perceived it's it's how things were perceived then what were some of the things that were changed from your first draft to the final draft that you published? What were some of the things that you, that naturally changed or how many of those changes were active changes that you wanted to change? Uh, so when I started writing it, I was about like 15. So it was not, I don't I think one person might've got killed off. A lot more died in the final version. I've never said who my character, my favorite character is, so I can say this without revealing too many spoilers. Um, but I, I ended up killing off my favorite character, mm. um, which I kind of regret because I would love to go back and, and revisit their story. But actually, I think it was better for that character. Um, there were people who, in the very first draft, um, she didn't communicate with like her parents again like she just exchanged letters but she didn't speak to her friends anymore whereas in the final draft I brought someone from Carstairs back into Sapphire to kind of be with her so she had like more uh family links and stronger ties with people so yeah there was there was a lot more character development from the the first draft to the final draft how how inspirational has was uh playing Dungeons and Dragons to the to the story I started playing Dungeons and Dragons after it was published. So I've only been playing um, for about two years now. So I started in in lockdown. Um, But I think it's definitely given me more inspiration, more motivation for doing future um, novels. I think I might explore like the fantasy races a bit more in future ones. So in where I belong, they're all, they're all humans. I haven't really explored like the whole fantasy races. Um, I don't want to get too generic in doing the races, um, but I would like to explore and get a lot more creative, um, especially with like mythical creatures and things. When it comes to the magic system, do you, the magic system that you created um, for Sapphire, is it, is it, as you say, hard magic or soft magic? Like, is it very specific rules or is it more flowy th- than that? Stuff? I think it would be a soft, cause it's down to like the individual person. So, um, okay. In Sapphire, um, 
Carlisle the King's really anti-people who don't have magic. He really frowns like he would he would basically kill them all. Um, I think I wrote in there that his his grandfather did effectively. If you didn't have magic, he would kill you because he just didn't see why. Um, whereas Alexander comes from a family that's like, no, you either have it or you don't. It's not something you can help. You're, it's just how you're born. Mm. Um, so I think it, it's kind of a, it depends on the the person. There's different types of magic. So there's characters in there who are seers. There's some who specialize in healing or, or fighting magic. Um, whereas with Alexandra, I didn't kind of really specialize her power. She was kind of a bit, um, kind of, jack of all trades but master of none but she was also having to relearn how to use her magic because she'd been tricked into thinking she didn't have it um so every so often she would kind of have a little spark and then found out actually no i do have it and i'm quite powerful was magic instrumental in telling the story or was that just part of the background of the story i think it actually probably is quite an integral part of it just because of how carlisle sees people it it really kind of it, it says something about his character that he's yeah it, it says something about his character and i think it, it kind of shows people who they are and how they think of people with magic um i probably could have taken the magic system out of it but i never even thought about that to be honest i just kind of mm. had it in there and it, it just went with it so it just became naturally part of the the narrative i never really thought about taking it out um, but then equally, I didn't go into too much. I didn't think too much about um, going into like the specifics on the magic system, just because it, it it's a weird one. It isn't. It isn't an integral part of the storyline. I mean, sorcery was a, a huge part of it, but yeah, I didn't go into to all that detail. But I, I probably didn't. I get um, if I get weighed down by specifics, I become obsessed with them, and I think I would then gone really too technical. Um, so I think it's trying to find the balance of explaining something, but not boring people with it. You have your second book that came out, The Shadow Courtesan, as you said, that is separate of Jadis. That's a completely different yeah. world. As you say, that one is kind of adjacent to supposedly, you know, takes place in, in our world. Yeah. Um, now, do either of these two books have sequels coming up because you do have a nice book you have a nice works in progress section on your website mm, yes and no so i'm thinking about doing a prequel to not a prequel i'm hoping to revisit the world in where i belong um jadis but right. it it'll be set probably a couple hundred years at least a hundred before where i belong mm. um so it'll mention like the kingdoms but it, it won't have any any strong tie other than the world so i'm hoping to go back and, and explore that world a bit more and, and develop on it um and i think that was one of the things that i've really enjoyed about world building is that i have got the opportunity to go back there and do a whole brand new story for it because where i belong that's like over it's in over 400 pages it's a pretty big yeah. book so what would be your advice for those because you are because you're also part of the alliance of independent authors how important was it for you to self-publish this? Um, so I did try and go down the traditional publishing route. Uh, I had what I nicknamed as my spreadsheet of doom, where I'd gone through and researched agents, kind of sent off God knows how many query letters, 
either didn't get a reply or got rejected. And then I started doing a creative writing MA through the Open University. And it was while I was doing that, I realized like, I always obviously knew writing's quite a subjective subject, but actually doing that made me realize just how subjective it was. Cause there's always that, I have massive imposter syndrome. Like when people um, say they really like my work, I'm just like, um, I find it really hard to be positive about, about my writing, it's really weird. In the first year, I don't think my tutor liked, it, it could be, I was really bad at what I was submitting. Or it could be she just really didn't like the the genre I wrote because the first um, story I submitted was, um, it was like a chapter I added in for The Shadow Courtesan because at that time it hadn't been published. Um, so I kind of added in like a new, like a, I wrote a brand new scene for it and it, the feedback was uh, the characters had no development. She just felt no connection to them. And I was like, I've been working on these characters for I know, like, I know them, to, like, they're real people to me. They live in my head, but they're real people. Mm. Um, and then the final one that I submitted to her that year was a short story that I wrote in, like, an hour or two. Like, I just didn't, I just wrote it and submitted it. And she came back saying it was, like, amazing. It was really strongly developed. And I was just like, are you kidding me? I did this in two <laughs> hours. Um, so I was just like, maybe maybe she maybe I have like over like maybe the 15 years I have just been overthinking thing and, and they haven't developed or there's a hundred reason it, it could be she didn't like it or it could be I was really bad like I am it it was then that I kind of thought well why don't I just go down the indie route and I, I looked into it a lot more um a, a friend of mine she had been telling me for years to go indie she was like you can do it just just do it mm. um so yeah finally just kind of took the plunge I was also in a job that I wasn't enjoying so yeah, I think I was in a meeting and I was just like, yeah, I quit. I'm going to just focus on my writing. <laughs> um, and yeah, it, it's nice to have the control. Like I've got the final say on things, which probably mm. isn't a great thing because I'm completely biased towards my work. So I do get feedback. Um, but yeah, I think a hundred percent I do. I think going down the indie route is definitely the right decision. Um, and everyone's been really supportive. It, it's great going to events, which I think if I'd gone the traditional route, I probably wouldn't have done and I also kind of when I was thinking more about doing the indie route it was because because I only write standalones from a publisher's point of view they're not marketable mm. I think when when I've looked at like fantasy books or books in general that are getting published now there there's at least one or two if not a trilogy because right. they can market that to get the demand going and I was like I, I don't want to write a trilogy just for the sake of of money i just i want to write because i'm enjoying it could could you use that as a marketing perspective to say yes it's not a trilogy but these books are connected almost to the point where it it represents from a marketing perspective it has that trilogy feel to it if you're having them all take place in the same world i don't know if i would market it like i've had people saying okay. They'd like, so feedback I've had is they would like me to go back to um, Sapphire and explore like what happens after where I belong. But I'm kind of, I think for me at the moment, that story feels pretty much done. I think right. if I had a, a, a hit of inspiration, maybe. I do kind of sometimes think about doing um, a little short story about Caleb and what he's doing because he disappears halfway mm. or three quarters of the way through for a bit. So I sort of wonder about going back to cover what he was doing. But I think if I just did another story and just set it in the same world, I think 
I don't think I would market it as it's it's related to where I belong. I think I would just um, I think it's nice because when I'm at events, I'm talking to people, so I can kind of talk directly rather than having to rely on online advertising and just say, you know, this one's a standalone, this one's a trilogy. They're set in the same world, but they're both completely separate. Right. So, so the one I'm working on now, in theory, procrastinating, um, because it's going to be set before where I belong, it'll just be name dropping kingdoms. Um, which I think would be nice for when you read, if if you then read that one and then read Where I Belong, you might be like, oh, name connection. Because I think when I'm reading a, a novel and they go back and they kind of name drop a, another place, I'm like, oh, I remember that place. Like you get fond <laughs> memories, but I don't think it would be necessarily to the, to the plot line. I mean, in theory, I could just create a whole brand new world for, for this trilogy, right. but I think it would be nice just to go back to to Jadis and, and revisit that one. Right. And so I, I'd be curious too, because you did, I mean, cause you, cause you did go to dragon meat. Is there, was there any push to say, Hey, Willow, could you make this into a, a Dungeons and Dragons expansion or campaign? Or could you do more of this? Could you make this into a game where we'd learn more about these different kingdoms and stuff? No, although I have sort of like, so while lockdown was happening, I have, and I quickly dropped the idea. I did debate doing like a Dungeons and Dragons campaign with some of my friends set in that world. Mm. I hate DMing. Um, <laughs> I think it's really hard. Um, I've done it a couple of times now. And I think as an author, what I put on, like, it's my ideas. It kind of flows how I want. Um, although there's that whole creative, like the characters kind of argue back and you do have to change things. Um, but I've tried DMing a few times and it's just chaos um and it's a lot of improvisation which i really hate so i yeah quick <laughs> quickly dropped that idea um dragon me i kind of went to the first one i went to was in 2019 and it was an event i just found out randomly and it was local to me um so i went to it just to see what it was like and it's it's always been great which is why i keep going back to it um it's a great atmosphere um I do have to try and rein myself in to like not go buying all the games that no one will play with me because yeah uh my husband's not really much into board games and stuff whereas I love them so it's kind of like just stay at the table don't go wandering off um but it's it's really great meeting people who are who are into to Dungeons and Dragons um and it's also held in December so a lot of people even if they're not really into books themselves They've got friends who are so they end up doing a bit of Christmas shopping, which is nice. Compare where I belong to the Shadow Courtesan. What was what's it, that book has vampires in it? Right? Yeah, they're they're so different. Um, right. So I was yeah, it's kind of the the cliche, but I was I kind of like enjoy vampire novels and fictions. Um, I've always wanted to write like a vampire novel. So for me, I'll kind of read any genre. I think the only genre I really don't like is um sci-fi although there are books that i really enjoy that are sci-fi so i'll kind of almost read anything and that's what i found at events is people are like oh i this is what i prefer but actually i'm going to try that one as well um because hopefully they'll they'll enjoy both of them um but yeah they're two very different books um magic's hinted at in the shadow courtesan just because it, it's set in our world but in a place where it's eternally dark so there obviously has to be magic at or some kind of 
force at, at play there. Um, but it doesn't become the whole focus of the um, the narrative. Do you see both of your books catering to the same reader or are these two separate readers? Probably. Um, I think it's hard to, to define reader, to be honest. It depends on the individual. Mm. Per so for me personally, I would read both of them. Um, I've got friends who would read one or the other. I've got friends who would read neither. Um, so I think it, it all depends on the individual. So I think if they're like, oh, I like the sound of this one. I'm not sure on it. I'm like, well, you know, you could give it a go. Or mm. I, so if they're not sure on the Shadow Quarters, I'm like, you know, do you like um, sort of dark fantasy? So vampires, um, not mythical, more like horror creatures. So like, do you are you interested in like werewolves and zombies? Even though those they aren't in there it's that kind of same genre almost um mm. but if they're really like no i'm not not into vampires i'm like oh you might like the the more magical i think where it belongs more of a traditional fantasy compared to mm. shadow quarters and even though in itself it's a contemporary fantasy because it's not fully set in the in the fictional realm and it mm. doesn't have all the the fantasy uh races and the magic system or creatures like it it's quite human focused and so you also you also put on there that you do historical fiction yeah. now because of your passion for historical fiction um what was the reasoning to make your fantasy tape be a contemporary fantasy and stay in that instead of like a a like a historical setting in that sense um so i think it does when it moves into um jadis it does have like a historical fancy setting right. and and it does kind of relate to it go it does have like a quite medieval attitude to towards people i have started like a historical piece but it's it's on the back burner i think because i i've studied history i'm getting too bogged down in the specifics um and i I'm sort of almost it, it's really with fantasy i can be as creative as i want um i can kind of set the rules create whatever whereas with historical fiction you do have that kind of you can take liberties but you do have to kind of be careful with them so what would be your advice so say for instance that we have you know authors that might have uh, written a book and that first time authors um and they're like you know willow i want to do what you did what do i do i have a manuscript i i wrote this out it's sitting on my computer what do i do with it next um so keep working on it until like you're you're happy with it i was gonna say 100 happy with it but i feel like i'm never i had to stop once i've done my final draft that's it i basically never read it again because i will just keep rewriting it um beta readers to kind of get feedback don't rely on friends and family because as much as you love them um the feedback will be like yeah it's great or just not my cup of tea which is fine like i'm happy like if people don't like my work like really happy with really happy with that um i like like i like criticism but it needs to be helpful so being like oh i just couldn't get into it didn't didn't quite help and i think family and friends are kind of reluctant to to criticize because they're obviously worried about offending you so if you get beta readers they're obviously not going to be worried about offending you um i mean hopefully they won't offend you but they'll be more truthful um i got it uh content edited uh so i sent it off to a professional they read it they kind of gave me feedback on like the plots what they thought worked, what they thought didn't work um 
on where I belong, they suggested a change to the ending, which I didn't agree with, so I didn't go with in the end, um, which I could put my argument for here, but then that would massively spoil the ending. Um, so, and it, I think it's okay to not agree with what people feed back to you as long as there's a reason other than just, well, this is what's in my head. Like, for me, there was an actual reason for why that ending happened. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, I think uh, decide if you want to go indie or if you want to go for the traditional route. Um, or there's now hybrid, which I don't know too much about. Um, speak to other authors, like Facebook's great for connecting to people or well just online in general now there's like social media discord um there's so many ways to connect with authors um i think it's really nice to reach out so uh when i was at dragon meet i did a, a panel with um ll mccray who's a fantasy author uh she writes about dragons um <laughs> so i i'd signed up to dragon meet um and i was talking to him about doing a panel so then i dropped her a message and was like oh hey do you want to do this together um, so I think it's really great to kind of network with other authors as well. Because um, I think like someone once was like, oh, but, you know, you're all kind of competing with each other. And I was like, well, not really, because if you're at an event and, and you see people selling books, you're, we were when we've been at events, we've been pointing each other out if someone comes to buy from us because we're like, oh, you, you know, you might enjoy their their work as well. Um, so yeah it's it's nice to kind of reach out to other authors and connect um i love it when people drop me a message um although i always also feel really bad if my notification doesn't go off and i don't see the message for like a week or so um <laughs> but yeah um and so what would be so so editing is really important at yeah. what point do you and, and so what it comes down to as you said from an independent author perspective what about some of like the graphic designs of the covers or all that stuff? What would be your advice on how to have an author find how to format the book itself? Um, so for cover designs, I know some authors like to do like if they've got the skills, they like to do it themselves. I definitely do not have art skills. So I do. Uh, I've worked with the same guy to do the front covers for both books um, or for packages like they're amazing. Um, I sent uh, a really vague description of what was in my head to them when I was first looking at getting the cover. Um, and he just, within like a couple of days, was like, oh, I couldn't stop thinking about it. This is what I've produced. And I was like, oh my God, you like cracked open my head, which is <laughs> creepy. But yeah, um, I think graphic artists, illustrators, they're worth their weight in in gold um editors as well don't skimp on it so like i made the tragic mistake of um for where i belong um so if you buy it online it's fine it's been edited um the editor i used for the first the first print run um they didn't edit and it was because i i've kind of gone for like a cost saving and i was yeah i made a massive mistake there but i think that's the the thing about being an indie is you're on your own and it's all a learning curve mm. um so that was a horrifying thing and then when i went to um getting the shadow courtesan done so i will not edit myself i will hire people to edit um i know again people who will edit themselves but i'm sort of like you need a fresh pair of eyes to do it um right. so 
I'm not the best editor. Um, when me, me and my husband, when we got married, we sent out our wedding invites and we proofread them a hundred times. Still got the date wrong, um, which is great on a wedding invite that you sent to all your family and friends and you've put the wrong date down. Um, so yeah, I definitely would recommend researching editors. Um, I went through, I think it was like the Society of Editors. It might not actually be that name. Um, I went through quite a lot of people. Um, I contacted a lot and then they asked for samples. The people who were like, oh, it doesn't need that much editing. I was like, nope. Um, and then there's people who are like really honest saying, you know, it, it does need this work doing. Um, so it's just kind of like working really closely with someone and taking that time to research and make sure that you, you're getting that quality um, mm. because you don't want to print a load of books with mistakes in them. <laughs> So, so Willow, for, so another piece of advice, say for instance, that you have this author that says, you know what, I've been saving up my money. I got 400 pounds. What should I spend that money on? I mean, that's going to all go on editing straight. I mean, it's, editing. it's, it's an expensive, so being indie I've learned is an expensive process, but there's also ways to kind of, um, count that almost so I've not mm. done it yet but I think definitely in the future I'll look at crowdfunding projects um which can massively help with costs um cover designs it is unfortunately a really it, it is unfortunately an expensive process um I think if you cut corners with um graphics and editing it's it's going to be noticeable um and I know people say you don't judge a book by its cover but I feel like we all do. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, it's like the cover has to look nice. Otherwise, you're not even going to pick it up. Um, right. I get complimented a lot on on the cover. And I have no problem being like, yeah, it's amazing because I didn't do it. Um, it's someone else's work. So I don't like I feel fine, like praising the cover because it's completely someone else's work. Um, right. It's like yeah. you're right. Like the he's saying, don't judge a book by its cover is almost a request, not necessarily like a yeah. like you know. It's like <laughs> I mean, it it is a really hard because we are all taught like don't judge a book by its cover. But yeah, it's it's a hard one. I mean, yeah. I have I have read books that don't have the most appealing covers, but again, it's all down to personal preference. What I think might not be an appealing cover to someone else might be an awesome one, and what I think is amazing to someone else be like oh, that's a bit bit naff keep at it um you probably will get Im imposter syndrome um i think a lot of us do like i've spoken to other authors who've who've all said the same thing of they, they have imposter syndrome it is kind of like playing among us and just being a bit sus i still feel i i feel really weird talking about my work and trying to trying to praise it and and sell it i'm trying more to get it into library so that it, it's there for people who kind of just want to read it but don't want to buy it kind of thing so yeah i'm also a massive supporter of libraries because i just love them and do you have so if, if people are interested in learning more about your books willow uh, they could go to asierpublishing.co.uk did i say that right um so sherry publishing hopefully i'm saying that right uh, sherrypublishing.co.uk i've also now got uh willowwoods.co.uk i think or you can look me up on, on social media. So I'm on Facebook, Twitter. Someone at Dragon Meet asked where my books on Goodread. Not, um, they are, they're, they're on Goodreads if you, if you like to add things to your, to your TBR. 
And your highly rated stuff too. I just want to point that out, Willow, that you consistently, if you even check out your uh, the ratings on both your books, are are really high. So, and you've gotten some really good reviews. So that's yeah, really it's, important. It's really nice as well. Like when people like leave the time to review it as well, especially when it's not a friend's doing it. Um, right. Yeah, luckily not. I don't. I don't think many of my friends have actually done that, which is a good thing. Um, it, it's really nice, sort of, when you. I do check it every. So I do have a look every <laughs> so often, not daily, um, just to see if I've got any new reviews and things. It is really nice when you find like a, a quite a high rating and, and someone's taken the time to review it. Um, right. Yeah. Cool. Well, perfect. Well, thank you so much, Willa, for coming on. And listen, when you have your other books come out. Make sure to come back on the show and we'll talk more about it. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. So, yeah. Um, Oh, sorry. I got my... um, I got, uh, so just so you know, we're getting a snowstorm. Oh no. So, uh, I got, I, I just got this, um, auto. So I got my Fitbit and it started buzzing on me. And I saw that the, uh, the, I'm getting this missed call from the school who's saying they're going to cancel school tomorrow. Um, but I knew that was happening because I got a text message about it earlier. But, yeah. Um, so oh. I get to edit this part out too. Man, Will, I got to be so doing so much editing. This would be great. Um, <laughs>